0: 13, Acts chapter 13, we're going to spend this morning just thinking through Acts 13 and 14 together. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, you should be able to find Acts chapter 13 in that black Bible that should be in the pew in front of you on page 921, Acts chapter 13. So I'm taking a class right now at Southern Seminary um, on leadership. And in the class, they were talking about the the importance of any organization or any institution that that is clear with every person within that organization what the mission of that organization is. And he gave specific examples of different companies and different businesses and different nonprofit organizations that he had been a part of, of helping them, um, where they would go and, and he, would, he would consult with this group of people. And, and even the top guys in leadership of that organization could not, those five, six, seven, eight guys could not consistently articulate what the mission of that organization was. It reminds me of a story um, of a group of fishermen that went down to a lake to fish for a weekend. And they Four days, like seven guys, they're going to go and, and fish for four days out in the woods, nice lake, all that stuff. And they get there and the weather's bad. So on day one, it's raining and windy and it's, it's howling outside and so the guys can't go fishing. So they've got to figure out what they're going to do. What they end up doing is they stay in the house, and they play cars, and they play board games, and, and they get through that day, and it's fine. But the next day they wake up, and it's the same problem. Seven guys who went to go fishing, it's the second day. They already spent a whole day playing cars, spent the whole day playing board games that they didn't really want to play, having conversations they didn't necessarily want to have. Now they're on day two. And they're still not fishing. And they're still stuck in the house. And they're still playing silly board games and playing card games that they don't want to play and having conversations that they don't want to have. At this point, a few of the people that are are there are starting to get irritated, if you can imagine. Day three comes around. They're like, you know what? It'll be better Tomorrow. We will get to go fishing. The weather will pass. We will be able to be out on this beautiful lake, throw our rods, and start reeling in the fish. Guess what? On day three, it's snowing. It's snowing. The wind's howling. They can't see anywhere. And on day three, they're not fishing either. And those fishermen are sitting in the house playing another game of of cards, another game of Clue, Another game of sorry. And now they're more irritated. And the arguments start breaking out. They're getting frustrated with each other. They've all been cooped up in this house for three days. And really the moral of the story is when fishermen go fishing but they're not able to fish, they'll fight. The, the idea is that, listen, this group of guys, this group of seven guys went to this place and went to this location with a task at hand, and the task was to go fishing. And if they would have been out on the lake fishing, doing what they were there to do, they wouldn't have started bickering. But day after day after day after day of not doing what they were there to do and being stuck in that house doing things they, they didn't want to do, they start bickering with each other. And really, that's kind of a picture of what happens in the church. The church has a mission. The the church has an aim. We are aiming at something specific. And what happens when the church loses track of what the mission is? And when the church stops participating in what the mission is, That is when you will find people fighting about the color of the carpet. That is when you will find people fighting about whether we're going to have chairs or pews. That's when you're going to find people fighting about what music we listen to, what music we don't listen to, how loud the music is, how quiet the music is, on and on and on. When people start bark, um, like arguing and complaining and, and griping about preferences within the body of Christ, what has happened is that whole group of people has lost the mission. And what is the mission? And so what I want to do, just for a few minutes this morning, is, is walk through three points in Acts chapter 13 and 14. The first one is God's mission the second one is God's method of carrying out His mission. And the third one is God's might, God's power in carrying out His mission. All right, so that's what we're going to do this morning. First, let's look at God's mission. And as you know, we're going through this series of From Garden to Glory, and we're, we're kind of walking from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And our goal has been for us to be able to see the the line of purpose through the entirety of Scripture. That there is a singular aim. That God is doing something specific. And that it starts all the way in the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we read, that God is going to crush the head of the serpent by the seed of the woman. We know that God created Adam and Eve to reflect His image and to demonstrate His glory in the world, and Adam and Eve decided to seek their own glory. And as a result, all of the world comes under the curse of sin, and here in Genesis chapter 3, we see the the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, kind of the first glimpse of hope. And that first glimpse glimpse of hope is that God, through the seed of the woman, is going to crush the head of the serpent. The message continues in Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 12, when God makes a covenant with Abraham. And what he says there is, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's so important, guys, to understand right there in Genesis chapter 12, God is making it clear that the blessing of Abraham is for the whole world. Abraham, through your offspring, through your line, I'm going to bless the whole world. Exodus chapter 19, as Israel is being established, we read this. God says to the Israelites, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all the people. Among all the people. Why? Because all of the earth is mine. And you, his purpose in Israel, was to make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation before the rest of the world. In Isaiah 49, Isaiah the prophet speaks of the servant of the Lord who is going to come. And in verse 5 of Isaiah 49, the Lord says this, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. And he says this, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, that's too small. God says of the servant that's going to come, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Psalm 67 is known as the mission psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let all the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that the mission of God from the very beginning and that the mission today is worship. The problem in the world is that human beings fail to worship the one true God. That human beings fail to give glory to the one true God, the only God that is worthy of glory. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus in His ministry, starting out His ministry, and one of the first One of the first things that we see Jesus do in the Gospel of John is minister to a Samaritan woman. And in ministering to this Samaritan woman, the the, the Samaritan woman is like, Lord, our fathers say that we should worship on, on this mountain and the Jews say that you should worship on that mountain. And Jesus is saying an hour is coming and is now here where you won't worship on this mountain, or that mountain. You will worship in spirit and in truth. Matthew 28, Jesus said to them, we read it this morning, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, we were just there a week or two ago. Acts chapter 1, when they had come together, they asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here's what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as a result of the power of the Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Even in Acts chapter 9, when God is is calling the apostle Paul to himself, he tells Ananias, go, for he is my chosen instrument. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, before the nations and kings and the children of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer. Are you seeing it? The mission of God from the very beginning has been to gather for himself a people, a church from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the faith of planet Earth that will rightly worship him and give him glory in spirit and in truth. We see in Revelation, in the future, right? John is given a vision of of heaven in the future. In Revelation chapter 5, you see this mass of people saying, Worthy are you, speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open his seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation. And you have made those ransomed people a kingdom of priests to God. Again, John says in Revelation chapter 7, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, and this multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Worship. Brothers and sisters, this is the mission. This is the mission of God. That human beings in this world who are failing to worship God in spirit and truth through the mediatory work of the Lord Jesus Christ would be brought into a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ and worship God and honor God and glorify God as they were created to do. That's the mission. And what we find in Acts chapter 13 is this mission being carried out. And in Acts chapter 13, this is the first time where we see an intentional effort being made by the church to take the gospel to the nations. If you look at Acts chapter 13, I want to demonstrate this to you. So we've just seen throughout the the whole of, of Scripture that God's purpose from beginning to end is that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of planet Earth would worship the one true God in spirit and truth. In Acts chapter 13, look at, um, actually look at verse 11, or uh, verse, sorry, verse 19 of chapter 11. Verse 19 of chapter 11, when the church of Antioch is born. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so what's important for us to understand as we're we're walking through the book of Acts is up to this point... The gospel ministry that's been witnessed in this book has been primarily to the Jewish people. And the change of scenery here is that now God is calling Paul and Barnabas and the church to go from speaking to the Jews only to the nation. So look at Acts chapter 13. Um... Starting in verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jews. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard Paul say this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. You see that? And even at the end of this passage in Acts chapter 14... Look at verse 27. In verse 27 of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas come back from their missionary journey, and look what they say. When they arrived and gathered together with the church, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And that's what we need to see, that's what's happening here. A door of faith is being opened to the Gentiles and the Spirit of God is using the church of God to reach the Gentile people. And that's what these two chapters are recording for us. And and really to help us see that that's the point of these two chapters, look at chapter 15. What's happening in chapter 15? All of these Gentiles have been incorporated to the church and the church doesn't know how to do this. Because the church has primarily been Jews up to this point, And the Jews think that certain things should be happening, that the law of Moses should still be being obeyed. And so they have this council. like how are we supposed to incorporate Gentiles into this thing we call the church of Jesus Christ? So that's what we're looking at. The mission of God is his worship through all of the world. And here's the question. Is that our mission? I mean, there's two facets to that question, right? The first facet is, is that my mission? It is clear that what God is doing in this world is gathering for himself worshipers That is the mission. The question is, is that my mission? And collectively, as a body of believers, as Gray Road Baptist Church, is that our mission? What I'd like to do for a few minutes is look at God's method. God's method. So turn with me back to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, we see the establishment of the church at Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution, right? The persecution broke out in Jerusalem. Christians are dispersed all over the place. Luke says that these scattered believers traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus... And Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this report in Antioch came back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted all of them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So this church is having revival. People are getting saved and the, the people in Jerusalem are hearing about what's happening at, at the church in Antioch. And so they send, down, they send Barnabas up there to encourage them. So now Barnabas is there. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for the apostle Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And look at this. Paul and Barnabas spend a whole year with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christian. The pejorative term, the slave of Christ. So here's God's method. The church is established. There's an established church. What what do we see? We see many believing. We see that that they are discipled, they are discipled by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. That's a pretty good discipleship team. And then we also see that leadership is established there. Look at uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, menian a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So here we have this church that's being built up with new believers. They're being discipled for a period of time. They have leaders, five solid leaders. And the next step comes. The Spirit calls out laborers. Look at verse 2 of chapter 13. While this group of believers were worshiping the Lord and fasting together, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Spirit of God in the midst of an established congregation calls out Barnabas and Saul to carry out his mission. Now there's There's debate as to what this looked like. Was this an inner call? Was this an audible voice from the Holy Spirit? We don't know, but here's what we do know. The Spirit made it clear that this is what Paul and Barnabas were supposed to do. Paul and Barnabas knew it, and the church knew it. The third aspect of God's method that we see in this text is that the church sends the laborers, So the Holy Spirit calls them, sets them apart, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which that they've been called to do. And we already know what God's called Paul to do. God has called Paul to be a light to the nation. Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hand on them and sent them off. This church obeyed. This church obeyed and sent off Paul and Barnabas. Now, you think about this. You think about the life of this young church. Just a couple years old. And guys, they have Paul and Barnabas discipling them and teaching them and encouraging them and leading them. And God calls this church, let them go. Can you imagine the challenge that would have been? You know, it's it's one verse. But can you imagine the challenge it would have been for those believers? How many Apostle Pauls are there in church history, folks? And God called them. God called that church. You have to let them go. You have to send them. You know, I sending is hard, isn't it? When we send off missionaries, that's hard. Sending is a matter in in the local church, is a matter of obedience and faith for that church. Right? Those believers in Antioch, that that was a, a huge thing for them. And there were spiritual challenges involved. And you can guarantee there were some leadership challenges involved. There were some growing pains involved. But they had to do it. And sending in a local church is a matter of obedience and faith, and a church has to be, a church that is on mission, has to be willing to send their people to accomplish the mission. And brothers and sisters, we're going to experience that struggle here at Gray Road a year from now. There's going to be people that we love People that are important to us. People that matter to us. That are going to lead. But here's my question. What's the mission? Right now in the town of Bartersville, there, there is not Ask people who live down that way. There is not a solid gospel preaching, sufficiency of scripture, God exalting, Christ exalting, evangelistic church there. There's not. And the goal is 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, there is a church plopped right in the middle of that town. That preaches the gospel every Sunday, that is engaging that community every week with gospel truth, counseling with the scriptures, preaching with the scriptures, reaching people with the scriptures that we put there. The laborers preach. The laborers preach. And, and what I want to do is there's a lot going on in these two chapters, but basically what, what we have is a record of Paul's first missionary journey, right? He goes from place to place to place to place, and he does the same thing. And here's what we see. We also see a pattern that he experiences the same thing. And that's what I want to do. I, I, I want to kind of look at the patterns and see what we learn from that. The laborers preach. The church is established, the Spirit calls laborers, the church, in obedience to God, sends laborers, and now the laborers preach. So if you look at Acts 13, 5, on the island of Cyprus, what does it say? It says that Paul and Barnabas proclaim the word of God. In Iconium, Acts chapter 14, verse 1, Paul and Barnabas spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed Verse 3, they've remained there for a long time, speaking boldly the word of the Lord. In Lystra, Acts chapter 13, verse 15, we bring you good news, and they preach. Derby, Acts chapter 14, verse 21, they preach the gospel to that city. Now look with me at uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 13. 16. Paul is now in Antioch of Pisidia. Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, and he said, Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then the people of God asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God had brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. You know, it's almost like he's kind of telling the story that we've been going through for the last so many weeks, right? From David, God has brought a Savior. This is the message he's preaching, Jesus as he has promised. And before his coming, John the Baptist came and had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he asked the Jews, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, no, I am not he, but behold, after me is coming one who the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Paul then looked at these Jews in the synagogue and said, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Jesus nor understand the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled the prophets by by, by condemning Christ. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the, to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus from the dead. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead No more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. And he uses the scriptures of the Old Testament to demonstrate that the Christ would raise from the dead. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. God raised him from the dead. And here's the point that Paul makes. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. This is the gospel. The son of David has come. The one who who John the Baptist was not worthy to untie his sandal has come. And Jesus fulfilled the prophets as he was accused by the Jews, as the prophets said he would be, and he suffered as the prophets said he would suffer, and he was raised from the dead. This is the message. And because, here it is, guys, because Jesus was raised from the dead, it is through this man, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And he's talking to these Jews who are under the weight of the law. They are convinced that their obedience to and their adherence to a set of laws is what's going to justify them before God. They are under the weight of personal condemnation. Maybe that's you. Are you someone who's sitting there in the pew today thinking about whether or not you're right with God? And as you evaluate your relationship with God, you're, you're looking at your behavior. You're examining your performance. You know, this week was a bad week. I, I, behaved, I didn't behave very well. I didn't live the way I'm supposed to live. I, I didn't honor God the way I'm supposed to honor God. I, I might be lost. Or you're thinking, you know, I had a pretty good week this week. I, I, I walk with God. I, I, I acted right. I didn't lose my temper too many times. I, I did what I was supposed to. You know, I'm probably okay. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has come and brought us forgiveness of sins, that Jesus has set us free from the bondage of the law. The gospel says that there's not one person in this room that can keep the law for one day. That's what James said. You can keep the whole law, break the law at one point, and now you're a lawbreaker. Look at what Paul says. By him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law. That's the message. That's our message. And God's method of building His church and building a group of people, of calling people out of the world To worship Him in spirit and truth is that message that all of us are dead in our sin. All of us are guilty before His presence. That there is none of us that is righteous. No, not one. There is not one of us that seeks after God. There is not one of us that does good. That what we need is a Savior. We don't need a personal assistant. We need a Savior. And that's the message that Paul preaches. That is the message that Paul proclaims. And and it's important for us, brothers and sisters, to understand that that is the only method of growing the church. The only method. Method that God has of expanding His church is the faithful preaching and proclamation of the gospel from His church to the world. That's it. Whether it's in personal evangelism or whether it's in public proclamation, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And that's what we have. And if we want to have true worshipers, And if we want to build churches that truly glorify God and honor Him as He should be honored, it must be built upon the foundation of the true and pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. We can't water it down. We can't shift it. We can't change it. We can't make it more tolerable. We can't do any of that. The gospel is what the gospel is. Amen? The next step in this process is the preachers suffer. They must endure hardship. Luke includes this suffering for a reason. I mean, in every place they go. In Cyprus, they face the opposition of elements the Magician. In Pisidian Antioch, where he preaches this sermon, the Jews, verse 45 of chapter 13, were filled with jealousy and began to contradict Paul, reviling him. Uh, The Jews, in verse 50, incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. In Iconium, they faced opposition. The people of the city were divided. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 14. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it. And fled. Lystra. And Lystra the Jews come from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowd, this is in verse 19 of chapter 14, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. This is always the case for those seeking to take the gospel. There will be a level of opposition. If, brothers and sisters, if we want to take the gospel out there, we will face opposition. There's not one missionary biography that you can read where they didn't face opposition. There's not one biography of a church that has grown through gospel proclamation, where they did not face opposition. You can read story after story after story of evangelists of missionaries, and what do they face at every turn, every time they proclaim the true gospel, the lordship of Jesus Christ, in a world that doesn't want a Lord? Opposition. It is important in 21st century America. Prevailing notion in much of the church goes something like this. If there are roadblocks, obstacles, challenges, and persecutions, we must not be doing the right thing. Because it would be easy, right? If we were doing the right thing and, and right in the center of the, the will of God, we wouldn't be facing this opposition, would we? No. Paul and Barnabas are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and they stoned them and left them for dead. And friends, here's the reality. If we are unwilling to face opposition, we will not be witnesses. Hear me? If we are unwilling to face opposition, we will not be witnesses. Witnesses. That's what Jesus told his disciples, right? If they have hated me, they're going to hate you too. And as a result of the witness, as a result of the preaching of the gospel, more churches are established. Look at chapter 14, verse 25. Um, Actually, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And as Paul and Barnabas went through the towns that they had started these churches in, they went back through them and appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so, I mean, you see how it worked. God's method. God's method is an established church. God's method is that established church that laborers are called out of that church. And then the church obeys the Lord and sends out those laborers and then those laborers preach and then those laborers suffer for the gospel but some believe and some churches are established and then those churches elders are established and and the people are discipled and the cycle starts all over again finally quickly let's look at God's might God's might we've looked at God's mission God's method and Briefly, we'll look at God's might. God and His sovereign power is building His church. He has sent His Holy Spirit, and His Holy Spirit is working in the world right now through the ministry of the Word. And the church sacrificially sends Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas work hard, and they suffer for God's glory. However, at the end of the day, what we see throughout these two chapters is that whatever was accomplished was accomplished by the power of God. These two men were called by the Spirit, that this calling of Paul and Barnabas was a work of the Spirit in those two men and was a work of the Spirit within that congregation. These two men were empowered by the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1. Jesus tells the apostles, you stay put until the Spirit comes and He will fill you with power from on high to be my witnesses. So the calling of people is the work of the Spirit. The, the actual work of witnessing is empowered by the Spirit. And then in each of these places, the preaching of the gospel is confirmed by the Spirit and the power of God. In Cyprus, the magician is blinded. In Iconium, it says that God bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. In Lystra, there's the healing of the cripple, and it goes on and on. This is all the work of God. God is doing this. And finally, they're born by the Spirit. Christians go from being dead in their sin and, and alive to the things of this world to being dead to this sin and made alive to God. Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter uh, 13. As were appointed to eternal life, believed. God is doing this. E- even the rejection of the Jews and the, 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 um, the powerful work of God amongst the Gentiles, Paul talks about it in Romans 9, 10, and 11. That there's a partial hardening of heart that's come upon the Jews. I- I'm just going to read a-, a couple verses for you. Through the trespass of the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if Israel's trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more would their full inclusion mean? You see that? Paul understands that the rejection of the Jews is part of God's sovereign plan. Verse 15, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, in other words, the Jews opposing the gospel and rejecting its truth means the reconciliation of the nation, what will their acceptance mean? You see that? Paul says this, that a partial hardening of heart has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Brothers and sisters, we must be faithful. We must die to ourselves. We must commit ourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We we must faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, any fruit that grows out of that soil... All glory goes to God. Why do I say that? Because we are not rationalists. We are theists. God exists. The Holy Spirit is here. He is working in the world. And the things that God is asking us to do as a church is going to require our dependence upon His Holy Spirit. We must be people of prayer. We must be people who humble ourselves before Him. We must be people that recognize that nothing, nothing can be accomplished apart from Him. So God, by His power, is using His method, the local church, to accomplish His mission. And that's what we're seeking to do. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning. We are thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask for Your help to be faithful in what You've called us to do. We know that we are completely dependent upon your sovereign power in our lives to accomplish your purposes and to do what you've called us to do. Help us as the church of Jesus Christ to live for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.